0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Only just here on Sunday mornings, but but all the time. Okay, so so make sure that you grab one of those. And as you're turning there, I was thinking this past week as we're as we're going through this story. This is we're we're getting ready to look at one of the um, just climactic points. One of them in the in this story, in the story of, of Exodus. And, and we've seen this in cartoons, and we've seen this in, in movies and in different places, but we're gonna, we're gonna look at the, the parting of the Red Sea this morning. And as I was thinking over this this past week, I kept thinking about how, how we, when we respond to certain things in certain ways, it reveals what we believe about those things. Have you ever noticed that? Like um, I, I heard a pastor saying one time, like if you take an orange and you begin to apply pressure Right. And what comes out of that orange is what was already on the inside, which is what? Orange juice. Right. It's not a trick question. It's orange juice. That's where we get orange juice. Right. You apply pressure to oranges. Well, well, when we experience things, the way we respond to those things that we experience, especially in times of crisis, what comes out is what we actually believe. Like when I was when I was pastoring in Sumner one time, um, up in Iowa, my kids were real small, and uh, we had friends over, and we were playing games, and, and we laid our kids down, and this is when they were babies at the time. We laid our kids down, and, and our friends had, I think he was f- like five at the time, a five-year-old, and, and he kept wanting to go upstairs and wake up our kids, and as a young parent, it's like sleep is precious, right? It is a precious commodity that you guard with everything that you have, right? Parents... You remember that time? All right, so this kid, he kept trying to go upstairs and wake up my kids. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) And I I said, oh, buddy, buddy, you can't go upstairs. Like, you just, you can't go upstairs because there's monsters upstairs. (laughs) And I don't want you to get eaten. Which is what will happen if you go upstairs, because there's monsters and they will eat you. You know, it's like. And and as I'm telling him this, my friend is back behind him going, no, no. no. And and yeah, I'm a terrible person, but it's like, he. I, I found out later after I had after I had told his son this, they had just had this conversation that there are no monsters, no such thing as monsters. Monsters can't hurt you. You don't have to be afraid of monsters. And I went and did that. Um, but but how, that, how his son responded in fear to what I was saying, it, it revealed what he really believed about monsters, right? He, he believed they were true. He bela- believed they were real. They were terrifying and that they would eat him, which is that's what I wanted him to get, right? But they believe that, he believed that they would eat him. And, and see, when, in the same way, when we respond to situations, especially when we respond to fear, what, what comes out is what we really believe about a situation. This is what I want you to walk away with this morning. That, that when God's people respond to fear, if you're, if you're a note taker, when God's people respond to fear and crisis in light of God's promises and God's power, it reveals God's glory. All right, and I'll say that again, okay, because it's kind of long. But when God's people respond to fear and crisis in light of God's promises and God's power, it reveals God's glory. All right, we're going to read, we're going to read Exodus, starting in verse, chapter 13, verse 1. So follow along with me. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory." You shall tell your sons on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute and its appointed time from year to year. All right, what what is happening? Let's stop there. At this point in the story... Right. God just did some amazing things, unbelievable things. If you if you missed last week and the week before, we just came through the plagues of Egypt. Right. God did. God God is showing his power over over the natural order of things. And he's revealing to the Egyptians, these people that had thousands of gods, he's revealing that he's like, oh, you have a God that looks like a frog and you pray to it when you want to be fertile. All right, here's frogs in your bed. I mean, just ridiculous, crazy things. And that's the one that sticks out to me the most because I think it's the grossest. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it, it just it's crazy. And all these things happen. And, and, and last week, Todd shared with us the 10th plague where, where God himself visited Egypt. And God himself came, and it says that he killed all the firstborn. And, and after that, after, after the Israelites were saved because they put blood over their doorposts and on their, on their door frames, they were, they were saved from this judgment that was coming. They're, they're going out of Egypt. They're being delivered after 400 years of slavery. Right? And, and what we need to remember also is that, is that Exodus is a continuation of the book of Genesis. Right? Genesis just flows right into Exodus. And in Genesis 12, what we see is God tells a guy named Abraham, That Abraham, he he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great and I'm going to make your your family great and I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. I'm going to bless your family and your family will reveal to everybody else what it looks like to serve me as God. And yet now this family, generations later, this family has been in 400 years of slavery. And every time I say 400 years, that, just, that number boggles my mind because they have a cultural identity that is centered on slavery. For generations upon generations, they have been, they have been people who have, who have built cities for other people. They have been people who have lost their children. They have been people who, who have built monuments to, to other people and other gods. And so what God is doing here as he's bringing these people out is he's saying, I'm going to set you apart. But in order to do that, he has to recreate their cultural identity. And he does that by giving them these times of remembrance. He's saying, when you get to where you're going, when you get to this land that I've promised you, this land flowing with milk and honey, you're going to do this thing. And he, he sets up this, this, uh, this time of unleavened bread, this feast of unleavened bread, this time of remembrance. And, 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 it's kind of like if you're, if you're sitting down with your family, as I was thinking about it in this way, like my kids love bread. My son Jackson, he's now gluten and gluten-free or whatever, however you say that. But he talks about how, like how, when we, we were driving around the other day and he was talking about the vacations we had gone on. And the thing that he remembered about the vacation we went on was the restaurant we went to and how good the bread was. This was pre-gluten intolerance, right? He's like, oh, I just remember that bread and the butter and all. And, and I, I can just imagine as these people are sitting down and, and the, the son's like, where's, where's the bread? That's my favorite part. Where's the rolls, right? Where, where's the bread? And you say, well, you see, son, years ago, our people were in Egypt and we were in bondage and we were in slavery and, and people were dying and there was no hope. And yet God Heard our cries. He heard our prayers. And he came in and he delivered us. And he did it so completely and so swiftly that our bread didn't even have time to rise. The leaven didn't even have time to to take hold and do what it's supposed to do. And so, what we're going to do for this next week is we're going to eat bread that's that's unleavened, that's flat, that that doesn't rise. And we're going to remember what God has done. And we're going to remember the promises that God has given us. And we're going to remember the power of God over the Egyptians and and over anything that we're going to come in contact with. We're going to remember God. And as you see this, the the whole point of this is to remember that God delivered them with a strong hand. Four times in this passage, in chapter 13, we read that phrase over and over again. And, And... not only that, but leaven was kind of this representative of of like decay. I I looked up, it's like, what does leaven do to bread? How does leaven make bread rise? And the only thing I got out of it was that it decays the bread, and it does this thing, and it makes it rise. That's all I know. If you know more, don't come up and talk to me. I don't really care, but but what I know is it's this form of decay, and it, it represents this like, like unwillingness to listen, this, this disobedience. And, and God says, no, sweep that away. Remember me. Remember my promises. Remember my power. He goes on in verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You see that? from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You see, in chapter 13, verse one, God says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. And that word consecrate, it's, it, it can also be read um, sanctify. And sanctify is kind of a, a churchy sounding word that means to set apart. And it was this practice of taking something that was, that was kind of um, just ordinary and setting it apart for something extraordinary. And so what God is doing is he's saying, as you go out, he says, first of all, the animals, set apart all the animals, right? And what do you do with the animals? You, it says, you sacrifice them to me. You lay them on the altar, and, and again, it's a time of remembrance, and you sacrifice them. But, but then he talks about a donkey, and a donkey was considered unclean, unfit to sacrifice to God. And so he says, you either have to break its neck, because it belongs to me, so, so there's, this, there's this transfer of life, you break its neck, or you redeem it with a lamb. Where you take this lamb, and instead of killing the donkey, you kill the lamb in its place. And then he goes on to say, in the same way with your sons, with your firstborn. Now, I don't know if we should read too much into the text that, that, that God here is, he's saying the same thing you do for a donkey you do for a son, apart from breaking its neck. I don't, I don't think that, I don't know if we should read too much in that there's this, there's this representation of donkeys and men. I'm not sure, but, but what he's saying here is he's saying, in the same way your sons need to be redeemed. In the same way, there's this idea of redeeming. It's buying back. And God says, they belong to me. right? They belong to me. And so so what you do is, is you take a lamb and you sacrifice it. And you say, all right, this thing is taking your place. Your uncleanness is being taken care of by this substitute. And you are being bought back. You're being bought with a price. And he says it's all to remember what God has done. It's to remember the promises of God. It's to remember the power of God. It's to remember that God delivered them in this way. And it's the same with us today. It's the same in in the New Testament. Paul says that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. See, when we understand that we are in the process of being sanctified, being set apart by God, that should change things in our lives. Right? When when you understand, like Paul says, you are not your own. You have been bought. You have been bought. Somebody else paid the price that you couldn't pay. See, when we understand that we have purpose, there's purpose for our lives. It should change the way we live. See, that's what God is doing for the Israelites. He's given them a new identity. He's given them a new cultural understanding of whose they are. Because when when the the firstborn is given to God, the firstborn represented all the hopes of the family. It represented the prosperity. It represented what what the name would continue on in. And and he's saying, all of that's mine. You are all mine. And see, for us today, us understanding that if we are under Christ, if we believe in Christ, that we are his. And that should change the way we live our lives. It should change the way we we interact in relationships. It should change the way we what we do with our body, it should change the, the way the things that we watch and the things that we are entertained by. It changes the way we should pay our taxes, right? It changes all of these things, how we treat those around us, and all of this is being done to remind the Israelites of who God is and what He's done. Right? It's it's to remind them that God has rescued you. So walk in that. That is your identity. You are, you are set apart. You are sanctified. And, and the crazy thing is, this is all being done before they're actually out of Egypt. They're on their way out, and God is giving them promises for what's going to happen. And he's saying, when you get to where I'm going to, to take you, get to this promised land, this is how it's, I'm going to shape you. I'm going to set you apart for something more, something better. We read on in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Now, stop there real quick. When did that happen? That happened like 400 plus years ago. Isn't that crazy? centuries ago you see you see joseph this this guy in the end of genesis and he's saying look these things are going to happen to you you're going to be enslaved like you're going to be enslaved and all this stuff is going to happen but don't worry because god is faithful he's going to come back and his promises are true and you can trust it 400 years later he's saying and when that happens don't forget to take me with you right we see even in that that god is worthy to be trusted God is worthy because his promises are true and he is faithful to his people. It goes on, it, it, they, take, they take Joseph with them, verse 20, and they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Let's just stop there. Let's just think about that for a second. It says that God is leading his people in a physical cloud, like his glory is, is becoming physical and you can see it and it's in a cloud and it's in this pillar of fire and it's always going before his people, leading them to where they should go. And I think that as I was reading this, it's like, man, that would be nice, wouldn't it? How nice would that be? As we think about like Oh, God, what, what job should I choose? That's a reality for a lot of us, right? What job should I choose? And, and just think about it, if you were like to pray and like, God, what job should I choose? You just lay them out before and you, you open your eyes. and It's like, oh, there's a pillar of cloud. All right? that's, that's easy, right? I'll follow that one. Or, or like if you're praying, guys, like if you're praying, God, just, just who should I marry? right? Who should I marry? And you open your eyes, and it's like, oh, there's a pillar of fire, right? I'll just go. And then, I mean, think about that. You could just confidently walk up to this girl and be like, hey, how's it going? So I, uh, I was praying for God to reveal my wife to me, and looks like you have a pillar of fire above your head, so how about we go get some coffee, right? I mean, th- just think about that, and, and we think, like, if, if that were the case, I could follow then, right? If that were the case, that would be so much easier. But the reality is that Jesus says we have something better, which is crazy. But in John chapter 16, which is what we're going to be going through in Salt Company. So if you're college age, you should join us. But what we're going through, John 16, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he's getting ready to be crucified. And he tells his disciples, he says, it's good for you that I'm going because I'm going to send another. I'm going to send a helper. He says, I'm going to send. We know it's the holy spirit and it's going to like like nick was saying it's going to indwell he's going to indwell in you he's going to teach you and he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you right and, and but we say but but if i could just hear god speak See, we we have his words right we have we have his words and yet in my own life, I think, yeah, but if it was a pillar of fire and if it was a pillar of cloud, you know what that is? That's laziness. Because God is saying, I am leading you. Just press into me. Just press into me. And we say, well, I don't understand it. That's not an excuse, right? It's not an excuse. God is saying, will you know me? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? And And then we see not only that, but when there is a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, when it's that When it's that immediate, when it's that visible, it doesn't even go the way they think it should. Because if you read in the beginning of that verse seventeen, I should have thrown a map up on the screen for you, but but if you look at at the path that, that most people think that the Israelites took, when they left Egypt, the promised land was in the north. They would have went around the sea and they went would have went north. It would have taken them about two weeks. But the problem is they would have went through this land of the Philistines. They would have went through all these garrisons that the Egyptians had in the area. And the grace and love of God says, no, I'm not going to take you the short way. I'm going to take you the long way. And they go south. Because he says, I know what my people can handle. Isn't that beautiful? I know what you can handle. I I know. I, I know you. I know your heart. He, t- he says, if, if my people went through the land of the Philistines, they'd see war and they would just boom, right back to Egypt, back to their bondage, back to their chains. He says, well, I'm going to take him south. Can you imagine being at the, at, the, at the back of this huge mass of people, these two million plus people? And, and you're thinking, all right, land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go, right? Like we're, we're going. And then instead of going north, you start going south. And it's like, what, is Moses too proud to like get directions? Or are we going the wrong way? And yet, well, there's a pillar of clouds. So I guess we're going in the right direction. But it takes you south. See, uh, we should never complain about the long way. And guys, Please hear this every time as I've been preaching through this. This is what I need to hear. We should never complain about the long way, the things that we are going through, the things where you're saying, I don't understand why it's taken this long. I don't understand why things are this difficult. I don't understand why, God, why? What if the answer is that God is saying, I know why, will you trust me? Right, James, James says it this way in chapter one, two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, what, what James says there is he's saying, count it all joy. Everything you go through, God is working. God is moving. Will you trust him? Chapter 14 Verses 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to, of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land of the wilderness. And the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. All right, just stop real quick right there. I love what, what, what Pharaoh is seeing, and yet what God is planning, that Pharaoh sees people that are just wandering in the desert, and yet what God, what God is saying is he's saying, no, I have a plan and a purpose for this. See, what some people view as wandering, some what, what we can view as tragic, God is saying, No, you just need to trust me, okay? You, you need to trust me. I know what I'm doing. And He's saying, I am working for my glory. I'm going to, I'm going to lift up, I'm going to use you, I'm going to set you apart to display my glory and my goodness to, to the nations and Israel and, and Egypt, and everybody's gonna know that I am God when this happens. See, What we again, what we see as wandering, God has purpose. It goes on and we see that's exactly what happens in verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the hearts of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Now, now that, that term defiantly, it means like rejoicing. They're going out boldly because God had just rescued them and he had just done a work. And so, so he's bringing them out. And, what, and yet what, what Pharaoh does is he's, he, God just... He, changes his mind and he changes his mind. And he's hardening his heart and God's hardening his heart and all these things are happening. And he's like, what have we done? And he, it's like, he wakes up out of a dream and he gets his 600 chosen chairs. I love how, I, I don't know why it's recorded this way, but I love it because it's like, all right, 600 chairs, you, 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 you're all the best. And I guess everybody else, let's go. Right. And they're like, let's go get him. And he brings this whole army and they're going out against the Israelites and they're encamped in this place and, and they're still rejoicing. And it says in verse nine, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by pi Pihereth in front of baal zephon Can you imagine the, the best military force with the, with the best armory and, and the best weapons? The chariot was like the tank in this day. And they're all coming after God's people. They're all coming out. And can you imagine the mindset of these Egyptians. As they come out, all of them have just experienced loss. All of them had just had just lost a child or lost a brother or a father. All of them had experienced loss because of the Israelites' God. And they're coming after him and they're saying, no, we're going to get vengeance we're going we're gonna to seek revenge over you. And they overtake them in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord the Israelites, they're celebrating, they're, they're, they're looking at what they have gotten out of Egypt as we, as we saw last week when they're going out, the, they ask their neighbor, hey, do you have anything I can take with me? And they're like, yeah, here, take all my gold. And it's like, oh, okay. And, and so they take all these things and they're, they're like trading. They're like, oh, can you imagine they gave me this? And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it's like a Jurassic Park type of thing where they're, they can see the water shaking in their glasses, right? Anybody remember? No. Okay. And, and so, so, and then they, they see the water shaking and, and, and then all all of a sudden there's a cloud in the distance and they're thinking, okay, is this we're we gonna get stormed on? What what happened? What's happening? And there is the Egyptian army, all of them, coming after them. And they cry out to the Lord, and this cry to the Lord is not a cry of faith, but it's a cry of fear. Psalm 106 verse 7 tells us that it says our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. We see this as we as we read on in verse 11. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done? To us in bringing us out of Egypt is not this what we said to you in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They begin to cry out to God, not in faith, but in fear. Instead of focusing on God, instead of focusing on on what he has just done, what he has just showed them, the promises that he had just given them. What do they focus on? They focus on the Egyptian army. They focus on the crisis and fear overtakes them. Right. They begin to cry out and they begin to blame God. They, they begin to they begin to say, you led us here. Right. There's the cloud. There's the fire. You led us here. You you led us here. You aren't good. You aren't. You aren't. <laughs> you don't provide. You don't care. Look at, look at us. Look at our plight. And then they became just irrational. I mean, there's no other way to, to describe it. They began to say, weren't things so good in Egypt? No, they weren't good in Egypt. You were enslaved. You were whipped. You were beaten. Your children were taken away. And yet they say, Moses, didn't we tell you in Egypt? Just leave us alone. We're fine. I, I can imagine if I were Moses being like, look, it wasn't my idea to come get you guys. Like God told me in a burning bush that you were crying out to him, and I had to come. You were the ones that brought me into this mess. Like, not me. And yet they become irrational, and they, and they remember, and they're like, oh, things were so good back then. Even though they weren't at all. And, and see, we can look at the Israelites, and we can say, oh, how foolish, right? Oh, how ridiculous, how foolish they were. It's like a, we look at them like a child who opens, who opens their birthday. And have you ever experienced this? You get a kid, like a birthday present or a Christmas present, and they open it up, and it's like, "Well, wow, I already have one of these. It's like... Huh, I didn't want to get you that anyway, right? I'll take it. All right, I'm taking all your presents back to the store, right? You know, it just makes you crazy because, like, I just, I just did this for you, and now you're saying, well, I didn't, didn't even want it anyway. But we do the same thing, right? We do the same thing. We come into moments of crisis. We come into, into moments where, where we don't understand what's happening, and we say, I'm following you, and yet look where I am. I'm following you and I don't have the job that I thought I'd have. I'm following you and I don't have the money that, that I should have. I'm following you and, and, and there's, there's sickness. My kids are sick. What is the deal with that? I'm following you and, and now I'm sick. I'm, I'm following you and, and maybe my parents are getting divorced. Or I'm following you and my marriage is in shambles. What are you doing, God? I'm following you and I'm still single. What's the deal with that? Where are you? Right. It's so easy for us to cry out. And instead of focusing on the promises and the power of God, we focus on what we think we should have. We focus on what we think should happen. And things become irrational, right? Like the Israelites who say, oh, things were so good. We come to these moments of crisis. And instead of trusting in, in those things and trusting in who God is, we're so tempted to go back. To go back to who we used to be, because no matter how, we, how much we hated who we used to be, no matter how, how bad it was, there's this illusion of security in who we used to be. Right? We go back to the substance, maybe, that we were enslaved by, or we go back to the distractions, and just like, for just a little while, I just don't want to have to think about this crisis. Or we go back to the abusive relationship, or we, we go back to... To, to all these different things because the, the des- destructive behavior. Because after all, that's who I am. That's my identity. That's all I know. And there's this illusion of security in these things. And we respond with anger. We respond with, with, with fear and with blame. And yet, what does God, how does God respond? I love in, in verse, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I love that passage. Because what we see in here is that, is that God responds to his people as they're crying out. In rebellion and fear, he responds. And the first thing that he says, is he says, fear not right now. Now we can read this in, in one way. We can see it where where Jesus is talking to his disciples in the New Testament. And it's this it's this loving like father to a son where where, you know, Jesus does something crazy, like walks on water. It's like, who does that? Right. That, that's not a thing. and And the disciples are freaking out. And he's like, oh, don't don't be afraid. It's me. Or, or after Jesus, he's crucified, they see him die, they see him bury, and then he like walks through a wall and just shows up three days later in their prayer service, and they're like, ah, you know, like, ah, and he's like, don't be afraid. It's this, it's this loving, gracious call to his people, fear not. And yet, Also, what we see in this passage is this this fear, not this command that that God is giving to his people through his servant Moses. It's this negative imperative, which is a which is a rebuke to his people. It's a rebuke. What what God is saying is he's saying, look, you have no reason to be responding in this way. You have no reason to be to be freaking out. You have no reason to, to be letting your heart just like get so worked up. You have no reason for this. I just showed you myself. I just did all these different things. I just showed you how powerful I am, how much better than I am, than all the gods of Egypt. I just showed you these things. I gave you my promises. I showed you how powerful I was. And yet you are you are in fear. And that fear is just misplaced trust. That's what fear is, isn't it? It's misplaced trust, trusting in, like I said, the the way you think things should go, trusting in the way you think things should be, trusting in the way you see your life playing out. And yet God is saying, no, all of those things are shaky ground to put your trust on, because what happens when they're taken away? That fear overtakes us, and instead of focusing on God, instead of focusing on his promises, instead of focusing on his power... We're just focused on what we don't have now and we're, we're trapped in fear and that fear is a rejection of who God has shown us to be. you see that? He's saying, He's saying fear not. The reality of the Israelites in this moment was that they were not actually ever in any danger which is crazy for me to think about but God is there in the cloud, in the fire and if you read on, it says that the pillar of fire goes behind them he stands in the way where the Egyptians can't even get to the Israelites. God is still there. His promises are still true. Just because there's crisis does not mean that the story is over. That would be like if right Toy Story 3, big fan, right? That would be like if you if you're watching Toy Story 3 with your kids, right? Because obviously we don't watch cartoons by ourselves. But if you're if you're watching Toy Story 3 and it's like buddy and or Woody and Buzz. I just mixed them together. That's their that's their Hollywood couple name. But um, (laughs) Woody and Buzz, right, they get thrown into the dump and they're the it looks like the creepy baby and the teddy bear. They're going to win out. And then you're like, I'm done. Story's over. You just shut it off and you walk away. It's like, no, you don't know the end. That's not where the story ends. God is faithful, and his promises are true. And even as I say that, I'm just reminded. I'm like, oh, God, I am so fickle. My heart is so prone to fear. God says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. That's the second thing. He says, stand firm. Stand firm in what you know. Stand firm in in who I am. Stand firm in those promises that I've given you. Stand firm Paul says this in in Ephesians when when he's talking about how, just just stand firm in what he says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and then he goes on to talk about the spiritual armor but all of that spiritual armor he's saying it's it's God who has you it's God who will fight for you so just stand firm as you face these different things these trials Stand firm in me. And he says, see the salvation that the Lord will bring to you today. Again, 14, 14, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. What is God saying here? What is God saying here? I I believe that what God is saying here is he's telling his people, he's saying, I didn't save you to abandon you. I didn't, I didn't bring you out. I didn't deliver you out of bondage and slavery to be just disinterested in where you're going next. I didn't, I didn't bring you out to just let you down. I will fight for you. I will be your, your strength. Just trust me. Believe me. Follow me. Stand firm in me. This is the essence of Christianity. Right. Uh, Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The one who began the work in you will continue it. And it's Jesus who does it all. Right. Christianity is not about what we can do to be better. It's what has been done for us to make us who God wants us to be. Amen. Isn't that awesome? That is so such good news for me this morning. The the fact that Jesus didn't save me only to abandon me. He didn't, He didn't deliver us from our sin and our bondage to be disinterested in where we are going. Jesus is sanctifying us and He is setting us apart for incredible things if we just trust Him and rely on Him and allow Him to fight for us. Jesus, you see, what we see in throughout the pages of scripture is that Jesus He takes our punishment, that that sin that we deserve because of our sin. He takes that. He gives us freedom, salvation. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart for relationship and purpose. And it's through him and by him that all these things are done. God says, stand firm. I will fight for you. I will do it. And I love where where he goes on and and it says we're not going to read the rest of the story, but but talks. Moses goes to God and God's like, why are you crying out to me? Have the people go. There's this place. There's this moment where it's like, you know, my promises, you know who I am. You've seen me work. Now let's go. And he tells Moses, just lift up your arms, lift up your staff over the Red Sea. And what happens is this wind comes through and the sea is parted and there's a wall on either side and they walk through on dry land, which is just like, are you kidding me? For real? like, yeah, that happened. God, the one who created the sea, can do what he wants with it. Isn't that amazing? He made it. Of course he can be like, dry land. (laughs) And, And we see they walk through, and he says, see the salvation that God is going to do for you today. See what God is going to do. Stand firm. Follow him. Walk through. Respond to crisis and fear in the promises and power of God. And what happens when, when we do that? We display God's glory. If you, if you read, skip on down to verse 30 and 31, after, after the Israelites get all the way through, God is, God is blocking the Egyptians. They come through after him. And then they start freaking out because the, the water's starting to come back in. They're like, oh, God's fighting against us. And then, and then God says, Moses, lift up your arms. And he lifted up his arms and the waves just crashed in and covered the Egyptians, and wiped out Pharaoh's entire army. And it says in verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the, land, from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Moses. See, when God's people, when us, when, when God's people respond to fear and crisis in light of God's promises and God's glory and God's power, it reveals God's glory. See, we, each and every every one of us, we need to remember. We need to be in this place of remembrance, just like God's people, just like the Israelites, where we come to these places in our lives and we say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. And and we're prone to to freak out. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to, to, to go to all these different things. We're prone to say, it wasn't so bad who I used to be. It wasn't so bad back there. And what God is saying is he's saying, no, stand firm in me. Follow me. Will you trust me? Because what Jesus did, and the connection is so cool in here, that what Jesus did in our sin, when we were in our sin, trapped in our bondage, what Jesus did was he came for us. And he raised up his arms as well. And they nailed him to a tree, and he made a way for us to come back to God. Where it seemed like there's, it's just impossible, there's nothing that we can do, there's no way we can get, get right with God, Jesus says, I know, will you trust me, will you follow me? And he made a way. And, and I believe what God is asking us to do this morning, no matter what we're going through, no matter what crisis it is, he's saying, will you remember what I did? And will you trust me for what I want to do through you? Will you trust me this morning? Because what happens when, when God's people trust God in this way? What happens? Like we we've gone through a bunch of stuff. As many of you know, like our, our daughter, she had a kidney and liver transplant about four years ago, and, and there there were so many people as we went through that process, they we would we would get messages from all over the country. I don't even know how they heard about it, but all over the country, people would be saying, Wow, I've learned so much about God by watching your story. See, so we don't, I don't do this perfectly. And yet God is asking us in the midst of all these things, he's saying, Will you trust me? What would happen if we trusted God? Like, do you realize that Colombia is full of refugees? What would happen if we responded to, to all of them in faith that God wants to deliver and God wants to, to set us apart so that we can show the nations that he is a God who saves? What would happen if we truly believe that and we walked in that and we began to, to interact with people in that light? What would happen with people who are hurting and in need in our community? I believe what would happen is that God's glory would be put on display and we would see God do amazing things. And so my question for you this morning as, as we're gonna take communion and the worship team, you guys come on up. We're gonna take communion and what we get to do now is we get to remember what God has done. In the same way that the Israelites, they had a time set up for them where God says, remember that I delivered you. Jesus set us up a time of remembrance as well. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what, no matter what crisis comes about in your life. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I, I saved you and I will continue to walk with you. He didn't save us just to, to abandon us. And this morning, what we're going to do is, as the, the worship team begins to play, I'm going to invite you guys to come whenever you're ready. And we're going to come to the different stations. There's gluten-free over in this corner if you need that. But what we're going to do is we're going we're to rip off a piece of the bread, which Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we're going to take that, that representation of Jesus' body, and we're going to dip it in the cup, which Jesus says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. And this is not something where, where we receive salvation. This is not something where it's like, okay, I go to the communion table and I'm good. This is something where we go to the communion table in remembrance of what Jesus has done in us. We are reaffirming the sacrifice that he did and we are saying, God, I remember that you have delivered me with a strong hand. And I want to walk in that. So as these guys lead us and as we sing, I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us first. God, we, we praise you and I thank you. I praise you that, that no matter what we, what we deal with, no matter what we're struggling with, God, and there are so many struggles. God, I praise you that we can respond to those looking at, at faith in your promises and your power because of what you have done and what you're going to do. So God, even this morning, as we come before the, the communion table God, and as we we take the bread and as we take the juice, God, help us to remember the fact that you are good and you can be trusted. God, and you are worthy of our, our entire lives. We thank you, God, and praise you. It's in your name, amen.